Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host, the King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and today we are joined by the uh, the mind behind Gila RPGs. Currently, he's got a campaign on Kickstarter with just 61 hours to go as we're uh, doing the stream here. The game is Slayers. It's Slayer Be Slain. And we are, of course, joined by Spencer Campbell. Spencer, welcome to Rollin' Bones. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Absolutely. When I got the email from you and I saw the campaign that you were running here, I could not resist bringing you on the show. Uh, this, This game looks awesome. Thank you, thank you. I, I'm uh, I'm very proud of it. I hope it looks awesome. Um, I, the art alone, like there's some pretty fantastic people in the game on the team working on it. I'm very proud of it, and it's been a whirlwind month with the campaign right now. I can't believe it's over in like 60 hours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we are we are in the midst of that final push. Uh, the the last few hours as uh, as people who've done Kickstarter campaigns are, are familiar with. I've never done one myself, but I've heard that, you know, kind of kind of the last few hours of the campaign are some of the most harrowing and nail-biting and also some of the uh, the most fruitful. Yeah, I've only done one other Kickstarter other than this, and it was for Zine Quest earlier this year. And there definitely was that bump in the end because everybody gets that reminder email of, hey, that thing that you were following, it's going to end soon. And so there is there's usually a little bit of a surge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, we are going to start this interview the same way we start every interview. I've got these questions that I like to hear from everyone. So I guess to kick things off, how did you get into RPGs? I got into RPGs, I think, maybe in a way that is, is kind of familiar to a, f- a few folks. I was first into board games and uh, actually like tabletop war games in high school and so played a lot of games like that war games and then what we ended up doing when we would play things like 40k is we would just pretend to be the characters anyway and we would create (laughs) these stories and we would have these like like the battles weren't just isolated events we'd be writing our own narrative so in a way, we were kind of role-playing, though not with maybe a codified system in place. So that sense of play, of, of pretending to be somebody else, started there actually with wargaming stuff. And then actually college didn't touch it at all. Uh, but when I went to grad school, uh, immediately 
found my my nerd group of friends and was introduced to role playing there and have been role playing consistently for the last decade or so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I kind of come at things uh, by that same unusual path myself because I'm also, you know, I, my first game was 40K and mm. then I was also into Hero Clicks as well. And yes. then I discovered RPGs. <laughs> we were so into Hero Clicks. <laughs> Maybe a little too into Hero Clicks now and think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hero Clicks. I'm a huge comic book fan, so Hero Clicks was like that was going to be my gateway drug. It was inevitable. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, of all the games that you've played uh, just over the years in in RPGs, what's been your favorite? Oh boy. Um, I think my favorite game. Mm, I, I, I honestly goes back and forth between two, but my favorite game, I think that I have the most, the, the best memories of is playing Blades in the Dark. Um, so playing like Blades in the Dark is, in my opinion, an incredibly ele- elegantly designed game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's rules light enough that you can learn it relatively easily, but there's a lot of small moving gears that once you understand how the machine works, you can really make it sing in an interesting way the reason i like blades so much is that i ran it concurrently so i had three different groups that i was the gm for all in the same timeline same city uh so their actions were interfering with one another and i would be writing like a newspaper between sessions for the other groups to read it was very involved so i think just the fact that we all got so into that game so into our characters into the world that one will always have a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot about focus camera. Sorry, my camera is randomly out of focus. There we go. So I've I've heard a lot about Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys that I regularly game with, uh, Keith Potempa, he has offered to run it for us. And, you know, I looked it up. I found it absolutely fascinating. I've never gotten the chance to play it, though, but that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, as somebody who's obsessed with, like, the genre of crime and heists, which, like, my first Kickstarter earlier this year was a game about robbing banks and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. a game that's about crime, but also in a setting that is essentially the Dishonored setting, which is a video game that I also really love. Oh, yeah. It it just had two things that I... I couldn't say no to. And so it was inevitable that I would love this game more than any other game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something, there's something undeniably cool about that kind of, uh, Victorian bordering on steampunk aesthetic that, that you get from stuff like that. I mean, like I just got, uh, I I love dishonored as well. Uh, but Mm. I just got assassin's creed syndicate, not too terribly long ago. It one that I just completely looked over, but it's that same, same kind of 1860s setting. It's, yeah. Yeah, I'm all about that. I'm there for that. That one's sitting on my list of, you know, the infinite Steam list or, you know, games to get to eventually. I have Syndicate squared away on some platform. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. Mm-hmm. We we have a guest question kind of interrupting uh, the, the typical flow of these questions from my wife, uh, Elfie. She wants to know if having a master's degree makes you a classier DM. 
Mm, well, it's a doctorate, so uh, <laughs> it makes me it make, makes me the classiest GM Absolutely. Uh, by those rules. <laughs> Absolutely, because uh, I will say having a B or a uh, yeah a, a BA in philosophy does nothing for your game. <laughs> mm, interesting, interesting. Well, I have a I have a I have a PhD in psychology, which probably makes me overthink everything in my mm. games. Yep. Yeah, in fact, having having a BA in philosophy makes you think about things and present scenarios that your characters <laughs> who in, in their their moments are just like, eh, we can't. Right. I'm not here to think. <laughs> what? I'm not here to feel. Although I will say there there was a very clear I'm I'm running a Dark Sun game right now, and there was a situation that I thought was going to be a very clear either we do this or we do this situation and my players turned it into like the biggest ethical nature versus nurture you know what's what's the right thing to do what kind of you know world are we creating if we make this decision i was just like whoa guys guys <laughs> that's cool though that's that mm -hmm. i mean that's that's players right they always yeah. take you on a path that you never expect mm -hmm. absolutely so getting back to kind of, you know, the, the early days of gaming, do you remember your first character? Uh, so I'm, I'm the forever GM. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think I've played characters. I can count on one hand, maybe going on to the second hand, the number of times I've actually been a PC in a game. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I think the first time I actually got to play was when one of my players took the GM seat in a world that we had all kind of collaboratively built over the few years. And he, he ran the game for a little bit as like a, our, we're all, we're all professors. And so we run like season during the school year and then like a different game in the summer. So he was the summer game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to play a cleric during the during that. That was my first character. Now it was a D and D cleric. And I don't remember too many details because it's just one of those things that I so rarely get to do. And it was like a flash in the pan moment. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, for anyone in chat who's wondering, yes, I do realize that my my mismatched lighting here makes me look like a villain. There's there's no way getting around it. Either you see half my face or I look like this. Exciting. <laughs> my my D and D players are used to me looking like a villain, so it's all right. There you go. You just lean into it. Now, as the forever GM, do you have a forever NPC that somehow always manages to make their way into your uh, your games? Yes, there is one uh, who always makes his way into every campaign. Now that I think about it, uh, and the re it's you know it's through time traveling nonsense. Essentially, this character has managed to show up in almost every campaign that I can think of because they are the 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 premise is that they are a scientist that has been working on time travel and is routinely succeeding but failing at the same time. And so they keep getting stuck in the time of whenever my campaign is. Mm -hmm. um, and so they will always be... that. My players know that they found him. His name is Hugo. 
You know they found Hugo when they find the one part of the world that has slightly better technology than everywhere else in the world because Hugo <laughs> is there desperately trying to build his time machine to get back to his time. Nice. Uh, so that's their like, oh, we found Hugo. Okay, now we know where he is. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Now, when it comes to uh, GMing and a little bit playing, if, if you, uh, you know, want to discuss your, your play style a little bit, but how would you describe your GM style? Like, what, what do you like to create for your players when you run games? I lean heavily into the idea of leaving blank spaces uh, on maps, and not only on maps, but just in scenes. Mm -hmm. um, so I follow, like, James D'Amato, who does the GMing for the One Shot podcast, uh, and also the, the campaign. Uh, he is, he's a fantastic GM, and I'm a little biased because he's also from Chicago, mm -hmm. but he he always goes to the players and asks them to paint the picture of the scene with him. Uh, they get to introduce not only like visual elements of the scene, but also like tangible possible, like plot relevant elements. Hmm. And I think that's just infinitely interesting to me. Um, in my earliest days were very prep heavy. I'm going to map this whole thing out. I'm going to actually draw maps. I'm going to have every little thing detailed. Mm -hmm. And I have gone to the point where I have like, five words written down on the page and I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And that's much more my GM style now. I'm, I'm much more comfortable with it now. I think if I tried to do that in the beginning, it would be a, a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the type of GM that I am the type of teacher where I'm constantly asking you a question rather than you asking me questions. So I, I ask mm -hmm. my students questions constantly in class and I do the same thing to my players. I'm always asking them questions because what they come up with is probably going to be more interesting than what I come up with anyway. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that that brings up just kind of a general good piece of advice for anyone starting out as a GM. Um, Luke, Luke Hart and I talked about this a little bit in our episode on leveling up your game, but those, those article or those uh, posts that you read on Reddit about, I winged the whole thing and it went fantastically, those are lies. Right. Um, you, <laughs> in the beginning, you need to prepare. You need to kind of know what's going on because your improv skills might not be there. Uh, but also be prepared to just completely throw all of that out the window immediately because... As we've said on here multiple times, no plan survives contact with the players. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. I've, I've, I've. Uh, some of my first groups were Chicago uh, improv comedians, <laughs> which means they're impossible to try and keep up with. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew early on that I couldn't try to plan anything, and so I just, I. That's when I started to get comfortable with improv because I had to do it to survive with them. Mm -hmm. Now, were they those Chicago improv comedians, or were they other Chicago improv comedians? They were, they were like legitimate Chicago <laughs> improv comedians. They were, mm -hmm. they were very successful, uh, and not. I've done one level of classes at IO, and now I think I'm an improv comedian, sort of comedians. Not gotcha. to disparage. Yeah, because I mean that's. I mean, Chicago is kind of like the hub for that. That's right. It's like we're we're Steve Carell and uh, yeah, everybody Steve comes Carell out of the second city. Yeah, yeah. 
So anybody who you know in comedy has probably gone through Chicago at some point. Absolutely. Now, this next question can be a little bit difficult for people because, you know, anyone who's going to appear on a podcast like this, we have a lot of memories tied up in this hobby. A lot of them are, you know, some of the best memories of our lives. But if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what what would that be? Oh, oh. that's very hard. Um I think it's going to have to be in 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 my Blades trio of campaigns that I had been running. Um, no, actually, scratch that. I just thought of something <laughs> that I liked even more. Um, there was a time when I was introducing a handful of my friends to role-playing games, and we came together... I introduced them, they played, they enjoyed the session that we played, and we, we decided to come back uh, the next week, and we, were, we would play over breakfast food, so we'd all make breakfast food. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I had my players show up, they all came, without me saying anything, either dressed in character or with props or anything like that. <laughs> they were ready to go more so than I could have possibly imagined. And it was one of those days where they kept asking for more that we ended up playing for 12 hours straight, which was amazing amazing like I, I i had these were people who were completely new to the hobby had no idea what they were getting into they were hooked after session one and then wanted a 12-hour marathon <laughs> the next time which was like that that felt good that felt good that i had shown them something that they could get so excited about mm-hmm. absolutely yeah the now, bar that actually brought a guitar and was like playing like playing songs the whole time it was oh, great that's fantastic now, unfortunately, we do have to kind of sink the ship a little bit because, you know, we share the table with all kinds of people. Uh, some of them become our best friends in the whole world. Some of them, you know, demand 12-hour sessions and end up creating the, the fondest memories that we have of the games. Uh, but some of them we just don't click with. And then there's a special class of player with the term of mm-hmm. that guy that we mm-hmm. associate with, with that particular type of player so if you have a story that you're comfortable sharing on on the show um what is your that guy story uh i got two uh i'm trying to think of which one to tell it was out the one that will always stick with me came early in my career as a gm because like i said i got introduced in grad school but i also was the one who immediately had to GM too. So I had to learn how to GM and just this concept of role playing at the same time. And I had this group of people who were all, we were all very good friends in grad school um, where one of them decided to be an evil character, um, which is going to cause problems if you don't have like discussions about what it means to have an evil character in the party. And if not, everybody's going to be evil. But since none of us had ever really role-played before, we were like, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it'll be interesting to have an evil character around. Cut to four sessions in, and uh, I don't know what the language allowed on this show is. Oh, um, you let it fly. It's all right. It's all good. So he's saying, fuck you, Pat. Fuck you, Hinzy. Fuck you, Spencer. He's, to everybody. Everybody, mm-hmm. because he tried to do something evil, and 
the players understandably were like, mm, you probably shouldn't do that. And the whole con, it was the whole argument that you see on those nightmare posts of, well, it's what my character would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when sure your character might do that, but we are here as people around the table who have to deal with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will always just stick with me because it happened so early on in my time just role playing, but also as a GM that I went, I learned a lot of valuable lessons that night. Um, he never came back. He stormed out and never came back. Um, <laughs> but we continued to play as the group for four more years. So it didn't destroy, it didn't destroy the campaign. It was just mm-hmm. a odd disruption and then i took his character and made it an evil character that they all got to kind of get catharsis and kill later on (laughs) love it yeah i mean that's that's a trap that a lot of well a lot of new players and then a lot of old players do it too where you just you know instead of being an actual character the the evil character the quote-unquote evil character ends up just being the player's id gone wild yep exactly Mm. Yeah, which was ironic because we were all psychologists, <laughs> and he really just let it loose. Yep, absolutely. Elfie would like to know, uh, going back to your uh, your twelve hour session there, if uh, because this was an unexpected breakfast party, if these were all hobbits that you were running a game for. <laughs> uh one of them is Hobbit-like, if I if I had to think about it. But no, uh, these were this was a ragtag group of individuals of scrappy Chicago improv comedians, like I said, who <laughs> suddenly realized they really like playing make believe in a way that they've never played before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now we come to our last of these introductory questions. This one has flummoxed a lot of people, including last week's guest. Um, and the answer to this can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. So, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh. Uh, wow. If I could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be anything related to role-playing games. It would be... A psychology related thing which will be the thing that i i will rant and fight against till my dying day which is the myers briggs is bullshit uh and i think that might just be it or i might write like a myers briggs set of letters and then an equals of bs below mm-hmm. that or something like that i think that would be what i would do because i hate the myers briggs personality test yeah the passion yeah i do too uh so that would be my answer. It has nothing to do with games, but it has everything to do with my loathing of that test. Any Anytime I see Myers-Briggs letters, I just have, like, Vietnam flashbacks to the brief period where I was doing online dating and just how <laughs> how people would put those letters in their in their bios. And I'd just be like, that. what does that mean? What Like, right. what are you trying to say? I've learned nothing. That doesn't tell me anything. Right. Tells me you, you answered a couple questions on the internet. Right. So, yeah, that's my shirt. And I'm going to keep screaming that until I'm an old man who can't scream anymore. Absolutely. And, and we, will, we will echo your screams here. At least, at least Elfie and I will. Because she, she has chimed in and said that uh, 
it's BS and that your Hogwarts house is more telling. <laughs> yeah, that's actually something I talk to my students about. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You might as well put your alignment chart on there, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might as well. It's, they're all equally useful forms yeah. of any BuzzFeed person. Like, which Game of Thrones character you are, that's an equally valid test of your personality. <laughs> yeah. The one with the dogs, too. That's my favorite. Yeah, exactly. Although that's my favorite because I ended up being my favorite kind of dog. All right, it worked I'm, out. I am a beagle, so there's that. Ooh, a beagle. I, I love beagles. I do, too. They're pretty great. Absolutely. I fell in love with beagles because of the book Shiloh. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you read Shiloh ever. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. It was a big book when I was a kid. It was about a beagle. I'm pretty sure it's a beagle, uh, and it's very cute. Ooh. Just an adventure of a dog. Very heartwarming. Absolutely. Now, uh, speaking of things that are equally heartwarming, uh, we've got this uh, this campaign here uh, for Slayers. So if you had to give just an elevator pitch for what Slayers is, uh, go ahead and, and give us that here on, on Rolling Bones. Okay. So Slayers is a monster hunting role-playing game uh, that takes place in a cursed city. Uh, and the thing that makes it special is that each class plays the game mechanically very differently than all of the other classes to try and create a sense of feeling and embodying your class more so than we see in traditional role-playing games. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and kind of looking over the, the campaign information here, it literally is uh, every single character has a unique kind of pool of dice that works in a different way. And it really is uh, for anyone who hasn't uh, backed the campaign yet. I, I encourage you to go to the Kickstarter page, if only to see how these classes uh, play versus each other and, and just kind of see the uniqueness that, that we have there. Yeah. It comes from my love of board games. I'm, I was really into board games before I got into role-playing games and Asymmetry is a relatively common thing you'll see in board games, but we wouldn't see asymmetry to the degree that I was looking for in role-playing games. The example I always talk about is Root. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of or played the board game Root before. Mm -hmm. It's so like everybody's playing the same game. You're all wanting to get victory points, but literally every person around the map is playing a wildly different game from one another. And I wanted to take that idea and see if it would work in a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, one, one that comes to mind for me, I've not played Root. I've heard great things about it. I know a lot of people who love it. Uh, but what comes to mind for me, a, a game that I've played a lot of recently and has been kind of popular recently, is Disney's Villainous. Yes, Absolutely. I love Villainous. Yeah, Villainous, Villainous is great. As, as a dedicated libertarian, nothing gives my wife more joy than hearing me have to say the words taxes, beautiful, lovely taxes when I'm playing Prince John in Villainous. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Villainous is like a perfect example of it. It's everybody is doing, like the core rules are there. You all follow 
the same idea, but mm -hmm. what you want to do and how you need to do it is going to be really different than the person sitting across the table from you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so in the world of the game, this, this whole thing takes place inside uh, what, what you call the city, which seems to be, uh, you know, as the Kickstarter text says here, at the nexus of the world. So it seems to be kind of in this weird in-between place where all these different uh, nasty things come come into play. Is that is that accurate to uh, to yeah kind of in there? Yeah. So uh, the city is called the city because it, it it takes the idea of urban sprawl literally. It's a city that never ends. Like it quite literally keeps expanding towards the horizon. And you know, is it because it's cursed? Is it a spell? Is it whatever? I'll let you as a table figure that out. But the idea is it keeps getting bigger. And since it's been doing that for forever, its real name, its history has been lost. So we just call it the city. And it cr keeps creating these districts, these unique little biomes or microcosms of... They're like neighborhoods of a major city, yeah. but they can be really, really different from their neighboring districts because they are just kind of manifesting overnight. And so... The idea is that as you're playing Slayers, you're going to be going to places that have, like, it's important to talk about what is the architecture of this district look like? What are this, the culture? What is the food that people are eating? Because that stuff is actually going to help you hunt the monsters because it's it's relevant to where you're going to be going, as opposed to it's a city that's just really big, but it's all kind of the same city. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to an ever-expanding city filled with kind of limitless possibilities. What does the monster variety look like in a, in a game like this? So there's a, there's a lot of different types of monsters. You're going to see monsters in the book that are familiar to you. You know, if you, if you come from something like D&D, you're going to see a, like, a skeleton. You're going to see a troll and things like that. <laughs> a lot of them have been changed to fit an urban environment as opposed to maybe the natural environment that you would see them in. But then there's also a lot of very strange creatures that either I created on my own or I've taken um, mythical things or things from folklore and kind of turned them into a more horrifying version of that thing in the world. So there's a lot, actually like a lot of human or humanoid enemies or monsters in the, the book that uh, are equally as monstrous as, you know, going off and fighting a big dragon in its cave is the half undead person who sings songs that raises the dead from the ground. Hmm. Absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned here on the, on the campaign, this idea of, uh, you know, hacking and creating new classes, new monsters, uh, how how easy or difficult is it to kind of throw in your own homebrewed creatures or, or nasties for your slayers to have to take out? What I have learned is that it's really easy, which is like a huge relief for me because I, mm -hmm. I I had hoped that it was. What I've what I've learned since I put the quick start rules out is I've had a lot of people reaching out to me saying, I want to make something for slayers. Can I? And yes, first of all, yes, do it. Make anything you want. Um, but second of all, uh, I had a, I did a play test last Saturday with some friends and one of my friends, she came back the next day and had created five new classes for the game. Um, each taking that same idea of 
playing with dice in a very unique way so that it embodied the idea of unique classes, unique ex- uh, play experiences. But at least according to her words, there there's enough that there's it's a small moving parts sort of game so that it's really, really easy to hack and mess with. So I've, she came out with five classes. I have another person who put together a huge monster generation table. I have another friend who's already making a sci-fi version of Slayers. Um, <laughs> nice. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that it is as easily hackable as I kind of hoped it was and that people are interested in hacking it the way that I had hoped that they'd be ha- interested in. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean... As soon as I get this game, any any players that I can Shanghai into uh, into running it for, uh, just just so you guys know what you're in for, uh, you you will in fact be going up against a lesson because oh. how could I not? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then the, like the cool thing is thinking about like what is a lesson like in a in an urban environment, mm. you know, as oh, opposed yeah. to thinking about it in like kind of a, a natural foresty hmm. sort of setting. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm excited now. I love it. Great. Cause I had I'm to, I had to homebrew. Well, I say I had to homebrew. I had to find someone else's homebrew for a lesson when I wanted to throw it at my Saturday campaign. Mm. Yeah. I I'm all about the lesson as a monster, as like a concept. Mm. So whatever you do put together, please let me know because I would love to see what you come up with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so uh, with this campaign, I mean, with the, the core book, we have an example hunt, but we also have, uh, with, with the stretch goals that have been unlocked so far, uh, two other hunts uh, that have been written by uh, kind of guest writers here. And uh, one of them, for those of you who don't already know, is a former guest on Roland Bones, Banana Chan. Yes. So I have uh, Banana Chan and Nevin Holmes are both writing adventures for uh, or hunts for the book so you'll have three full fully described adventures that you can use straight away and get going and playing the game without having to do very much prep at all as a gm mm-hmm. gotcha i'm very excited that uh, so nevin is a nevin is a friend of mine who i met through a, a game design discord he's actually got a kickstarter coming out next month called gun and slinger which is this really cool two-player game where one person is a sentient gun one person plays that and one person plays the person who's wielding that gun um it uses cards uh and it it sounds strange but trust me it's very cool it uses Hmm. a a version of go fish as part of the core mechanic Hmm. So Nevin has been helping me uh, with some read-throughs and things like that and playthroughs of of Slayers. And so he wanted to write something. And then Banana Chan actually reached out to me because we were both... uh, We had both recently been interviewed by uh, another person who connected us. So it was somebody played the social lubricant and got us together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very excited to have the, the two of them writing for the book. Gotcha. Now, was this person who connected you John Hambone McGuire? No. Okay. Because <laughs> that's who connected me with Banana. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, J- uh, John's one of the uh, the co-hosts of the Vintage RPG podcast. I know that uh, he and Stu like to you know bring people on to talk about uh, new games that are coming out. So I was just curious. Oh, gotcha. 
Uh, no, I got we got introduced uh, by uh, Garm at Midgardia, who does a an interview thing uh, for Kickstarter stuff. Gotcha, awesome. So, you know, when when it comes to building out a hunt, uh, what do you feel in, in the playtests that you've run and and you know working on this game? What do you feel makes for a good hunt? for people who are going to, you know, create their own after they run through the scenarios. There's a few things that having done it myself and talking with Nevin and Banana about it that we all kind of agreed are the things that are essential to a hunt. So a hunt, at least as they're written in the book, follow roughly a three-act structure to them. So the first act is an introduction to the district that the hunt is going to be taking place in and early investigations. And that part is really the there's a heavy emphasis for the slayers and for the players to be introducing elements to the district, building the district and what it looks like and feels like with the GM rather than the GM having written out this whole map of what the district looks like. There's this kind of collaborative world building at a very small scale that goes on in act one. And then act two is the investigation kind of going strong. They're trying to figure out where this monster is or weaknesses or why it's doing this. There's a few conflicts along the way to kind of warm the players up to the idea of fighting, uh, especially if it's your first time playing, getting used to what, how your class works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third act is fighting the thing that you've been hired to fight. And generally, and I think this is in all three of the hunts, the monster in that hunt usually has some rules that are special or different than a lot of the other monsters that you're going to see in the books. They have something that makes them unique. So rather than just taking one of the existing monsters and giving it more HP, giving it leaning into the idea of asymmetry, giving it rules that don't make any sense compared to the other monsters or really different than the other monsters so that you go, Oh, this is, this is the bad one. This is the one that we're actually trying to kill. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So that's the rough. And then hopefully you succeed. And then if you succeed, um, character advancement is based off of successful hunts and some reflection period afterwards where the, the, the slayers talk about the hunt and their experience. Gotcha. So, I mean, bringing up that, that idea of experience, uh, that, that kind of leads me into the next question about the, the structure of this game. Is this designed for, you know, we're going we're gonna to take this evening and we're going to do a hunt and it's just going to be kind of light and casual, or is this designed uh, in, in a way to have campaigns of multiple hunts kind of strung together? So there's definitely enough there for you to have a campaign with multiple hunts strung, you know, strung together to, you know, I want people to build the city with time with their group. I want them to, with each hunt, put a new district into their version of the city. And so how they want to map it, if they want to map it, they're going to have a really different version of the city than another group. And you can do that as either a bunch of one-shots that are just kind of popping in and around the city. But there are there are elements to the game that encourage campaign play because your characters advance. They get better uh, the longer that they're hunting. They get ed- There's no experience points. It's you know akin to milestone XP where just finish the job. If you finish the job, you level up. Uh, which means that you get to take another one of the advances, the things that make your characters even cooler than they already are. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. 
Now, digging in a little bit to how these characters play, uh, you know, as we mentioned, each character has a different play style. The general uh, mechanic here is it's D6s and a 4 or greater is a success. Uh, but each character that, uh, you know, like the Kickstarter says, the, the 4 plus uh, means something different. And one way that this really plays out that I feel like is super cool and very evocative of you know like the the video games that i know and love and also one of my favorite rpgs savage worlds is the way that the blade plays with the combo system yeah exploding dice Mm -hmm. absolutely if you like exploding dice people love the blade Mm -hmm. um yeah the idea rather than exploding dice that only explode on the highest value the the, the blade is supposed to be the, the fighter of the, the group, the kind of the traditional swords fighter. But I don't... My, my personal preference is not playing big, like, armor-wearing fighters, but, like, the faster, more stylish sword mm-hmm. fighters. The, the, the absolute obvious inspiration for me for this was Dante from Devil oh, May Cry. Yes. Oh, I yes. just wanted <laughs> to play as Dante in a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to make a, a class that was all about finding stylish combos and like finding the advantageous moment to to attack something and like the stances that the blade takes and shifts between is absolutely you can see taken from Devil May Cry. Um, so that that hopefully when you're playing the blade as you're doing the stance switching stuff and watching your attack dice explode every time you roll a four or above and you're racking up these huge combos, you feel like that stylish sword fighter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, with the gunslinger, um, this is uh, very specifically a six shooter gunslinger, uh, but mm. you've got, you know, you've got your six, your six dice, like the six bullets in the, in the, uh, the cylinder and, uh, you know, ma- managing those, those dice that you have there is, is kind of the key mechanic there. I love that. That's cool. Yeah, it's a bit of resource management was the idea. And I really like the idea of you have the six dice in front of you in a circle so it looks like the gun. Like, those are the bullets, and you're picking it up and deciding, I'm going to use this bullet right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And is there any kind of recharge mechanic on that? Like, after a certain amount of time, you know, you, you can do six more bullets? Or, like, how does that work? So just like the blade has an action that they can take during their turn, which changes their stance, the gunslinger can reload. So everybody takes two actions during their turn. And so one of those actions that the gunslinger can do is they can fire a certain number of bullets and then they can reload a certain number of bullets. And they have the ability to change how much they fire and how much they reload based off of how advanced their character is and, you know, having completed more hunts and become more of a veteran. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Then we, we go to the Arcanist, uh, which is uh, your, your spellcaster uh, in a way. And there's a, a system here with uh, corruption where uh, the, the more you cast your... It's almost like, a, you know, the aforementioned Dark Sun where, you know, your, your magic has a cost to it. And the more you cast, if you're not careful, the more uh, corruption and chaos abounds. Exactly. I wanted to create an element of sort of push your luck where you can you can boost your spells as an arcanist and make them even more potent and powerful mm-hmm. but doing so adds the, to the corruption 
And there, the elements of the push your luck is that you have to kind of compare your dice rolls to your current corruption. And if it's over, then some something is going to happen. A complication is going to happen. Um, I, I'm inspired by games like Trophy, uh, like Trophy Dark, which is the like how we get ruined in Trophy Dark uh, is kind of a clear line between that and how the Arcanist works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love uh, I, I love chaos magic and and the way it plays out in so many RPGs. One of my friends, unfortunately, I wasn't playing in this game, but one of my friends recently, uh, they were they were running uh, Storm King's Thunder, and they were a wild mage uh, sorcerer, and they rolled on the uh, the wild magic surge table mm-hmm. and caused a tsunami to hit Waterdeep. Ooh, okay, very yeah. cool. See. I love that. I love chaos and magic. Mm-hmm. I want magic to feel chaotic. Yep. And then the uh, the last of these kind of four classes that we have here uh, to, to start with is the Tactician. And uh, the Tactician works almost like the, the Warlord in, in 4E, where uh, you're, you're able to uh, enable the other slayers to, to kind of move around more tactically and uh, take advantage of the uh, the situations that you set up for them, um, which again, it's always it's always cool to have. And you know, if you have that player who you know likes to think strategically, there's there's always the controller player at the table, the mm-hmm. the guy who likes the control deck and magic, who who likes to optimize their character, giving them kind of that that thing where they can kind of step back and be more tactical about how not just themselves, but everyone reacts is always a good thing. Right. This, I mean, this comes from me loving war games and seeing things from a bigger picture. And I played control decks. I played blue decks in magic. Um, And I also wanted to make that concept of like being a support character a little bit different. So the tactician is absolutely the support uh, I mean, they're they're telling the other slayers when to move and when to act, but they're also quite literally swapping out dice in a pool that they roll at the start of combat with any other dice that are being rolled, so that they're kind of orchestrating the fight to to their own rhythm, a rhythm that they hear in their own head, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very cool way of doing support rather than just giving buffs uh, and like advantage rolls again and again and again. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, taking a massive step back from everything we've discussed, kind of the, the nitty gritty of the game, let's go all the way back to just the initial inspiration for this game. Where did the idea for this game spring forth from? So Slayers came from me making two games at the same time that both I hit roadblocks on both of them. And I didn't want to give up on the ideas of the game, so I decided to peanut butter and jelly it and smash the rule sets together. So I was working on a game that was supposed to be Street Fighter-esque, like combo fighting idea, uh, which is where you're getting the the elements of the blade. And I was working on, and I'm still working on, a gunslinging kind of Weird West game 
where you did the six dice that you were tracking and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so each of those games in separate development wasn't getting as far as I wanted with either one. And so I decided, how could I? Is it even possible to smash these things together? Because they're so different. Uh, And that's where Slayers kind of emerged, was my desire to take two systems that I thought were very cool that I had come up with and make them work together. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's there there's something just really evocative and cool about the uh, the urban environment where you know everything's a potential threat. You know, the, there's something out there in this vast cityscape that's trying to kill you. I, I mean, we can go through all the things. Assassin's Creed has that right. feel to it. Uh, one of my favorite movies, The Warriors, definitely. Like, as soon as I heard about that, I was just like, oh, this is like a Warriors game. Yeah, I pretty clearly love uh, role-playing games that take place in, in urban environments, mm-hmm. like where the whole thing takes place. Like, that's why Blades in the Dark is my favorite game, and my second favorite game is Spire. Yeah. Because Spire only takes place in this mile-high city, and I I love that idea of this this urban environment that even though even if even if it's constrained by walls, it's there's an infinite number of horrible things that could be going on inside of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the urban RPG is a not often tread, but very very awesome uh, in, environment for a lot of players. I just uh, not too terribly long ago came off of an urban game, and mm, cool. it it was one of the best games that I'd played in just just because of the. Uh, the unique aspects of, you know, you need to obviously be good at combat, but also, you know, in the D&D type setting that that we were in, the, the, it was, you know, 5th edition D&D, you, you also need to have your wits about you, uh, be able to keep your eyes open, and also be able to survive a social interaction. Right, like dealing with social interactions, dealing with, like, navigating a city, thinking about social norms thinking about like factions factions in an urban environment are like super super interesting to me because mm-hmm. i get a, a wider scale world thing you've got factions of like yeah this kingdom and this kingdom hate each other but like inside of a city inside of a kingdom sort of thing there's going to be a bunch of little groups that also hate each other or mm-hmm. at odds with one another and i love tinkering with that and pushing these groups against each other and putting the players in between those groups mm-hmm. gotcha so this game, uh, like we said, the, the Kickstarter campaign has uh, just hours to go. We're in the final stretch here, uh, but it looks like you guys are set to release right around October of this year. Uh, do, as, as it stands right now, uh, is that still kind of an accurate timeline for you? Yeah, that's that's good to go. I've got the the rules on my end are are written. Uh, and so at this point, the things that need to be added to the book are the the guest uh, the guest adventures from Nevin and Banana, and then the um, there's a few more art pieces that I'm working uh, waiting on that will get thrown into the final thing, and then the other thing that actually still needs to be written and that I'm kind of co-writing with people are there's five more districts that are going to be put in, which will be these sort of like one page like detailed dense prompts for you so these will be 
I have two districts in the book, but then there was a tier on the Kickstarter that if you backed it, you got to write a district with me. So these these people, I'm going to work with them to create one of those really weird, unique neighborhoods, and it's going to have locations and plot hooks and things like that. So that if you don't want to jump into one of the fully fleshed out adventures right away, you could start with one of these districts, and it gives you these little breadcrumbs that you can follow. So those need to be written, but otherwise... The book is largely together, so I don't see any reason other than uh, with the Postal Service being uh, in threats and with a number of issues with like COVID going on, shipping delays. But I think otherwise the October thing should be good to go. Awesome. Awesome. Now, when it comes to distribution, once backers have their copies... Uh, are you going through drive-through RPG? Uh, you know, you know how are you uh, how are you selling this game to to people once the uh, once the backers have their copies and and the game is available? Yeah, so the the digital version will be up on itch itch.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find the the PDF version, and uh, that's where all the electronic versions of the 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 core book and then anything else that comes up will be up there as well as my website, gilarpgs.com. That's where the, the book will be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you buy it from me, but the book is also going to be on a, a few other websites. So exalted funeral has copies pre-ordered with the Kickstarter. So if you, if you like supporting exalted funeral, you can get it from them. Uh, floating chair is also going to have some copies as well. So there's going to be a few online stores other than my own website that you'll be able to find it on gotcha and i know with this initial campaign still going on this this might be kind of a a big uh future question here but moving forward you know past this initial release uh what does support for this game look like yeah i'm i'm actually really excited about like post-release slayers world because the book is going to be released with a like a fully open license for people to hack and make and alter the game in whatever way they want and sell the things that they make. Um, I want people to not only be encouraged to make things, but to be compensated for their, their work. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't, first of all, I can't wait for all the people who have been talking to me about the things that they're making to put that stuff out there. Um, I'll also be putting together a sort of creator's kit that will have templates and things like that for, hey, if you want to make a Slayer's class, here's generally what it should have and some like a template you can follow. Same thing with the district in a, in a hunt and things like that so that mm. people have tools. Um, things that I want to make eventually, I want to release uh, new classes. I also want to release like subversions or like variants of the classes. So if you like the exploding die mechanic of the blade, but you don't want... The, the type of blade I've described, like how can we do exploding dice if you want to be the person who's swinging like a huge war hammer. And so you're getting like momentum from swinging a war hammer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or different types of arcanists that are themed around different types of spells. The thing that I really want to make uh, is a, and I, it'll probably be like in a zine format, is a, a system for building and structuring and running a campaign in the city. So Mm -hmm. coming up with rules on how to like really strong rules on how to make districts, how to map the city in a couple of different ways, depending on your mapping preferences and then how to run a longstanding campaign with like factions and things like that so that you can 
you can build your own version of the city and then go talk to another group and see what they did and it'll be really cool and different mm-hmm. um i'm inspired by um heart which was on kickstarter recently and is shipping soon it's made by the same people who made spire and everybody's getting this big hex map and with stickers and you're going to be building your version of the the game world with your group but your version will look really different than another group and i want to do something similar that's what i see when i see the the city in my head and so i would love to make something like that Mm -hmm. yeah and as far as like adapting this to other settings and stuff like that there's there's two that immediately come to mind that i i feel like people will be able to, to do pretty easily with the tools you've given uh one is ninjas the yeah. other is uh, like street level vigilantes, and I'm gonna go ahead and give someone out there a layup here. You can combine the two and do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with this pretty easily. That's actually a really, really, really good idea. I love. Well, I'm in love with that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, somebody needs to make that. Yep. Yeah, I, I feel like IDW Games currently has that license, though. So. You know, re- releasing that and getting getting paid for it might be a little bit harrowing, but a little tricky. If you if you sand off some of the copyrights there and say right. like <laughs> martial artist reptiles or something exactly. like that, you, you might the be able to. Martial. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I mean that exactly like you said though. Like I, that's what I want is I want people to see that they could take this st- structure of a simple core mechanic, and everybody plays the game differently. Like you can make an infinite number of classes. Mm-hmm. You can make an infinite number of different hacks of this game. As long as you kind of keep that premise in mind. Like I've, I have friends who are already thinking about like classes that are going to be almost dexterity based. So like stacking dice and flicking dice in weird ways, as opposed to rolling them. And I think <laughs> oh, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Or like somebody who wants, I have somebody who wants to make like a beast master class. And so the dice are going to actually represent the beasts that they have and how they interact with with their beast when they're giving it commands. It's very cool to hear what people come up with. People, I'm, I'm actually kind of jealous because people are coming up with ideas that are cooler than mine. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say kind of the, the base setting that you have here, again, this this kind of uh, Dishonored-ish uh, looking setting does does look pretty fascinating itself. Uh, just, yeah, the whole the whole blades and guns mixed together the just the two of them together always that that combination always just kind of tickles my fancy in a way yeah it's it's why i love blades it's why i love dishonored it's probably why i'll love assassin's creed syndicate because that's my that's the setting that i just keep going back to i can't say no to Mm -hmm. absolutely so kind of getting off onto some of the other uh you know projects that you've done here one that definitely caught my eye and actually got me to go all the way up to the uh the the let's see what tier oh yeah the the 25 dollar tier so i could get the the zine for it uh the score the Mm. the heist rpg that you put together looks absolutely fascinating so uh if you could for a little bit talk talk to us some about score and and how that came together and how that campaign went well, thank you very much for, for thinking Score is cool. I, I also think Score is pretty cool. Score was my first Kickstarter, so that was something that I made for Zine Quest earlier this year. Though I had made the game before that, and it was just sitting 
in a folder on Google Drive with me going, oh, well, I made it. Uh, Zine Quest prompted me to actually put it out into a, a real form. It's a game about robbing banks and pulling off heists and things like that. Uh, to take another video game touchstone, it's Payday or mm -hmm. Payday 2, either one of those in video game format, or sorry, in role-playing game format. Um, I love crime, the genre in general. Mm -hmm. A lot of my games are about crime or about being the bad, the bad guys. Yeah. Um, so Score was a uh, is a is a bank robbing game that has uh, again kind of a relatively simple core mechanic of rolling what I equate to good dice and bad dice at the same time. Uh, and your bad dice are going to keep getting bigger and bigger. The pool is going to keep getting bigger and bigger the longer the heist is going on, and it represents the amount of heat that's on you at that time. Uh, and so your goal is, as a crew, to quickly jump into a heist, accomplish the objectives, and get out before the heat gets too hot, that one of you gets busted, or the whole crew gets busted, or something like that. So it borrows heavily from like the concepts of clocks that we see in things like Powered by the Apocalypse games or Blades in the Dark, uh, and then also... Uh, actually, a big inspiration is a a game that a lot of people I haven't I've talked to don't know about it is the end of the world, which is a an apocalypse game by Fantasy Flight where you play yourself during the apocalypse. Hmm. Um, it's really fun. I think it's out of print now, which is really unfortunate. But the the kind of the mechanics are in, uh, inspired by that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I originally designed it as like a really fast one-shot game uh like you would do heist in like about an hour's time and then with the zine quest going uh, or the, the funding on the kickstarter doing well i ended up making sort of character advancement rules so that you could play your criminal over like a six heist campaign mm -hmm. gotcha and and i'm i'm kind of blown away it is nominated for an any this year um for best rules um, which is which was very uh, that it, I was blindsided by that when that happened. So I'm very very honored and very happy and proud of Score. So I'm excited that so many people on the Slayers campaign want to get Score with with Slayers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, just just when I saw that you had put that together uh, in my head, I just immediately went, "That's brilliant!" Because. So often, and I notice this all the time when I'm playing just vanilla D&D, &D, so often you'll run into a situation where someone at the table goes, why don't we just do a heist? Mm -hmm. Or you'll, you'll have to acquire something and someone's like, why don't we do a heist? Turn this into a heist. We need a heist session. It's right. always in the back of people's minds of, you know, we need a heist in RPG form. But the way that it always ends up working out in so many systems is you have to cobble together rules just based on what you've got. And as a GM, you feel like you're flying by the seat of your pants just trying to keep up with the players uh, who usually end up happy. But, you know, having a set of rules that is like, OK, this is this is how the heist is going to work. You know, this is the framework that you can work in. You can scratch that itch for your players while not feeling like you have to essentially write your own game, which I think is amazing. 
Oh yeah, totally. I, I've had that same experience of of like, oh, I guess we need to do a heist for this campaign, and mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to make it work in a satisfying way. Uh, and that is, that is something that you can do with score. Is you could, I mean, it takes place in modern day, like it's inspired by movies like Heat, but you don't have to play. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you could easily put it into a D and D setting. Just take the those rules and and just change the the coat of paint to a fantasy coat of paint, and it still works. Um, I'm actually working on a cyberpunk version of it right now, uh, because I love cyberpunk and I thought, why not? There's crime going on there and why not take my crime game and put it into that world? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Need some kind of overly convoluted, uh, system for the, uh, the person who insists on being the Decker. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, the, that's the thing is like, how do I how do I keep this relatively simple core mechanic and make it apply to everybody? It's the opposite of Slayers. Everybody plays by the same rule and scores, and it's supposed to be a simple rule, including the Decker. Because I I tried try I tried Shadowrun. I tried it. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it always amazes me in in all these different systems how the the Decker causes so many problems because you're either completely halting the momentum of the game or the decker feels like they're just doing they're just making one dice roll over and over again right uh which i mean hanker and fernell when when i had him on was just like it's a dice roll uh you're just gonna have to live with it you can describe it however you want uh you know i'll I'll go down that road for you but we're not doing this whole complicated thing mm-hmm. yeah i i agree i've I know exactly what you're talking about, where it's like, all right, roll it again, roll it again, roll hack again, roll hack again, and that's just, that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of what that comes down to, um, and a lot of what kind of makes or breaks games like Score or even like Slayer, is while you have very simple, you know, mechanics of, you know, you roll this dice and something happens when you get a certain number, it all comes down to how you describe it at the table that's what makes the difference in a particular session from one session to another. Absolutely. Like success and failure equally interesting. And we paint that picture together. Hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one thing that's great about these rules light games uh, that, you know, these two games kind of fall into that category. You have so much room to do those kind of cool descriptions and and to really paint you know mind pictures for your players and for yourself and that's one strength that so many games like this have even though you know so many of us love our crunch every now and then you know the the fact that the crunch is not there to get bogged down in just kind of you know opens up that that freedom and as GMs and as players, it's it's on us to overcome the the fear of too much freedom and, and really right. just create something amazing at the table. Yeah, I, my hope is that I have I've given you a big open space to play in, but I've given you enough boundaries that you're not overwhelmed by the space that you have. You're comfortable in the space that you can play in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just kind of rounding out the discussion here, uh, like like we said at the top of the episode, we can go ahead, refresh here, see what we're at live on 
rolling bones as we're having this discussion we've got 60 hours to go 12 that over twelve thousand dollars have been raised so far yeah Uh, so you know funding's been met stretch goals are unlocked at this point you know we're we're it's open for those of you who want to get in on uh, the ground floor here, but the tiers that we have, um, you know, you can you can contribute whatever you want with Kickstarter. At ten dollars, you get the PDF. Uh, at fifteen, you get the book and the PDF. At the twenty-five dollar level, which is what I'm at, you've got the PDF, the book, and then the score PDF and the score zine. Uh, if if that conversation intrigued you and those are the levels that we have right now um you know like like uh spencer mentioned the beginning there there was the initial hundred dollar level to design a district how is that going so far right now so that i've contacted the people who are the the architects um but we haven't started brainstorming yet because i want to make sure that the campaign ends before Mm -hmm. i start brainstorming with them right um just because i have had somebody drop out and so i didn't want to start writing a bunch of district stuff with them before they actually go all the way through to the campaign Mm -hmm. um so that is i've i've sent them sort of a little bit to think about they and in the quick start rules there's an example district in there so that they have an idea of what a district is going to look like um and then i have reached out to my artist who is uh, doing some of the set piece work to see if she is going to be able to maybe add some more art based off of these districts as well. So I'm really hoping to kind of keep filling the book with more art uh, just because we we funded as well as we did. I want the book to look really, really cool for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and just so everyone knows, uh, according to the text in the Kickstarter, what we're looking at here is a it's a hardcover book, but it's a digest size uh, book. Yeah, so it's going to be that A5 size paper that you see in zines, um, but with a hardcover on top of it. Uh, it's, you know, if you've got Morkborg, uh, if you manage to get lucky and get a copy of Morkborg, it's going to be about that size. It's not going to look like Morkborg because that's a whole other thing. Um, but that's the kind of the size. I like that size book. It's comfortable. It's easy to carry around. Uh, it's not going to be like a big hefty tome. Yep. Yeah. I mean, while I love stuff like Zweihander, uh, that's a big ass book. There's just no getting around it. Right. Like it's, it's a workout to bring those books around sometimes. Yeah. So if you could just throw this little nice digest book into your bag and, and hit the road, then that's that's what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and even, you know, my, my two favorite games are uh, 5e and Savage Worlds. And with both of those, uh, you know, b- both of those game systems, what you're looking at is an investment of carrying around multiple books. So having something a small book that you can, uh, you know, pretty easily carry around in a smaller bag. That's, that's great. That, that really is a convenience. That's what I'm hoping for. So yeah, it'll be that size book because then ultimately, like I said, I want people to make things. And a lot of the people that I know who are making things make things in zine format. So kind of having a uniform size to Slayers related material would be nice as well. So and kind of all informs the decision to go with the the digest sized 
And then it's hardcover because that it wasn't intentionally or it wasn't originally a hardcover book. It was paperback, um, but a stretch goal unlocked hardcover for everyone. Awesome. Well, the link to this will be in the description on YouTube. You can find it in the show notes if you're listening on audio. Um, you know, as we're recording this, we got 60 hours. This is the last week of the campaign, guys. So if you want in uh, before October when this is released, this is uh, coming up on your last chance to get in before uh, the campaign closes. Uh, as we kind of round out here, Spencer, I like to give the guests the opportunity to you know plug anything coming up. Obviously, we've got the campaign. Is there anything else that you uh, want to promote as we're uh, you know wrapping up today? Um, so yeah, the, the Slayers campaign, obviously support that if, if it sounds interesting to you. There will also be links on the Kickstarter page of places to go to like put your name down if you if you miss the campaign but want to get a book. Uh, you know, I want to figure out who wants to get books and how to get you books. Um, I'm going to I'm going to shout out just because my thing's almost done. I want to shout out two of my friends Kickstarters, if that's OK. Absolutely. Go for it. The more the merrier. I have uh, two friends. One is running a Kickstarter right now. Adam Vass is running a Kickstarter for the game Necro Nautilus. Uh, you'll find it on Kickstarter when you find the psychedelic colored skull. For the crop the cover art it's a very cool game that mixes elements of wordplay and you play as literal agents of death it almost gives me vibes of like mad libs meets no man's sky if that Ooh. sounds cool to you which it should uh that's got like 10 more days something like that left in it um and then nevin holmes uh who is writing an adventure for me for slayers his Kickstarter for Gun and Slinger, all one word with an ampersand, is up in August. And I really recommend just checking him out on Twitter. Uh, the art he's been showing off is very cool. So I'm going to promote those Kickstarters because I think they are awesome and deserve support. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode of uh, Rolling Bone. Spencer, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm super excited for this uh, this campaign now, even more so than when I jumped on it. Um, th this is really going to be something interesting and something that I think my players will have a lot of fun with. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I had a fun, uh, ton of fun talking about it. And yeah, I hope. I hope that this game, which I think will be probably a little weird and different for some folks, is very exciting and inspirational at the same time. So thank you for giving me the chance to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem at all. Well, guys, that is going to do it for our episode. So uh, coming up this week, this Saturday on Danishes and Dragons, not only will we be having breakfast together, but I will be doing my first ever miniature painting stream i have not ever streamed my painting process i don't know how it's gonna go it might be a train wreck you might <laughs> hear me use a few more swear words than i uh than i typically do uh but but that's uh you know we're gonna try it and as of right now uh, you guys will be able to vote on what minis I'm painting. I've got one post up right now on my Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg for those of you who don't follow me. And then there'll be another one going up in the next couple of days. 
Uh, it's going to be one fantasy and then one either Western or modern that I'll be doing base coats on, uh, probably finishing those up on a future stream. But you guys will be able to vote on what mini I'm painting. That's up on Instagram. I look forward to it. Uh, next week, I've not yet decided the topic. I don't have a guest booked yet. So uh, stay tuned for what's going on on next week's Rolling Bones. But until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, Ryan Howard here. Just wanting to remind you all that now, instead of just listening to the podcast every Saturday morning, you can join us live on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on Twitch to watch and listen to my interviews each week. I'll also be doing a Saturday morning show called Danishes and Dragons, where I discuss both D&D campaigns and my favorite breakfast foods and coffees. I look forward to seeing each and every one of you, and you can find links to Twitch and YouTube in the show notes page. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thank you very much for listening.